Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. One of the things that commercials are been, have been using, I think lately, I don't remember these messages when I was growing up, But it seems like almost any product, every product, is being sold on the grounds that you deserve it. You should buy this hair product because you deserve to have good hair. Beautiful hair. Hair. (laughs) Rather than no hair. And you should buy this car, and you should buy this insurance policy, and everything, everything, because you deserve it. Seems like it's working. It sells. But if you stop and think, that is such a vile, unhealthy message for people to, uh, to be bombarded with, for children to grow up with. I deserve. Well, if you deserve, I got a couple of questions. If you deserve, why do I have to pay you for it? (laughs) It was like that joke about uh, the guy comes into a bookstore and says, where is the self-help department? And the owner of the store said, well, if I tell you, it kind of defeats the purpose. Find it yourself. It's self-help. So if it's self-help, why am I reading your book? You wrote a book for me to help myself? If I deserve, why am I paying you? I have to pay you for what I deserve? There's no justice in this world. Life stinks. And then what happens if I pay you and the the product doesn't work? It's a very bad message. It's evil. It's actually evil. And I'm sure the people who do this, the people who think these things up, they know how evil it is. It doesn't matter. It works. It's making them money. So here we get to the second idol in the United States. Deservedness. I deserve. I deserve. How did we get to this idol? I think it started not so long ago from a religious source. The religious source basically said, if God created you, you must be really important. If God created you, you must deserve to have life, to exist. In other words, whatever it is we were given must have been on the basis, on the grounds, that we were deserving and worthy of it. So if God gave you existence, well, then you must deserve to exist. If God gave you life, then you must deserve life. If God loves you, then you must deserve that love. It actually came from religious sources. God makes you important. 
That was the message. I'm not sure exactly what they meant by that. But let's look at the, the correct version and the idolatrous version. One of the descriptions of idolatry, and we read it in the Hallel from, uh, from, from Psalms, from Tehillim, the idols have eyes that do not see. They have a nose that does not breathe. They have a mouth that does not speak. They have legs that do not go. Are we talking about little statues? Possibly. But that's too obvious. When we say the idol that has eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear and a nose that doesn't breathe, we're talking about human beings. Because a statue doesn't have eyes. So it would be false to say they have eyes, but they can't see. No, they don't have eyes. They're just a piece of marble. They don't have legs. So you can't, you can't condemn them for having legs that don't go. They don't have legs. So when, when King David describes the idol as having eyes that do not see and so on, he must be speaking about human beings. Because we do have eyes and we do have feet. And yet we can't really see and we can't really go. The ultimate idol has always been the human being himself. Because when God said, I am God, your God, you shall have no other gods, what was he referring to? Of course, he specifies, don't make graven images, don't look up to the heavens and worship what's there. But the original, the first thought of idolatry that occurs to the average human being is himself. So for example, when a child says, why do I have to? I don't want to. See, that's idolatry. I don't want. That's the final word. I don't like it. Therefore, it must stop. I want it. Therefore, I must have it. This absoluteness, my way, what I think, what I want, is the most important thing to me and the most real thing to me, that is idol worship. If you could prove to me that there's a God, then I would believe in him. What does that say? That says God's existence depends on my approval. Because if I don't understand him, then he cannot exist, he cannot be real. But if you convince me, and I understand, when I'm convinced, then there is a God. What does that mean? It means I'm God. In fact, I'm a God maker. I decide who's God. I decide what's God. So not only am I a God, I am the God of gods. <laughs> I am the maker of gods. I decide who created the world. That is a form of idolatry. 
And what is the flaw? The flaw is you have eyes and you're not seeing. You have an opinion, but you're not thinking. You can go, but you've got no place to go. Unless there really is a God. So having eyes is not enough. The virtue of having eyes is so that you can see what's real. If nothing is real, what do you need eyes for? Going, being able to move, being able to walk is a blessing, is a gift if you have some place to go. If you have no place to go, there's no place you need to be, then, then what is the blessing of legs? So this is what the psalmist is describing. An idol is a human being who is content to have eyes even if there's nothing to see. He's content having legs even though he has no place to go. He's content having ears even though there's nothing to hear. The very fact that he has eyes and ears and feet makes him God. This is, this is ridiculous. This is a false God. A senseless God. A God that can't possibly be correct. Because there is no value to seeing if there's nothing worth seeing. My wife's grandfather getting elderly and his hearing was going. And he was speaking to the Rebbe and he complained, he bemoaned the fact that he doesn't, people talk to him and he doesn't hear. And the Rebbe said to him, you're not missing anything. As long as they hear you, that's important. If, if you're not missing anything, then, then why are you complaining about your ears not working? If there's nothing to see, why, do you, why are you proud of your eyes? And if there's no place to go, then what kind of gift is, is walking or feet? So the first idol we have to get past, which is an idol that we're actually born with, is self-worship. I know, I think, I want. That's probably the most difficult idol to rid yourself of because it comes so early in life. It's almost natural. When you say to a child, you can't have somebody else's toy, you are destroying the idol. When you say, no, you can't have another ice cream until whatever, tomorrow, you're destroying the idol. You're telling the child your, your needs, your demands, your opinion, your wants are not the ultimate. They are not the, the reality. And so you're opening their eyes, you're opening their ears so that they would see what really is and hear what really is and so on. So how do we correct this misunderstanding? If God created you, doesn't that mean that you deserve to be created? If God gives you life, doesn't that mean that you deserve to have life? Of course, on the other hand, 
That really doesn't make any sense because before God created me, how can I deserve something? How can I be deserving before I even exist? So if God created me, he created me from non-existence. What does a non-existence do to deserve anything? God gives me life, I must deserve life. What did I do and when did I do it to deserve life? Before I was alive? So there's something really Ill irrational about this thinking that if God gives me, I must deserve. Now, God gives you before you're able to deserve. Well, then maybe God gives it to me in, in anticipation of my greatness. <laughs> Since he is all-knowing, he must know how great I'm going to be how important I'm going to be, how lovable I'm going to be. So in advance, he loves me already. He gives me what I'm going to deserve ultimately, eventually, because he's ahead of the game. That could be. In fact, that's what we're told God actually does. God gives us things in anticipation of how we're going to handle it. God inscribes us in the book of life on Rosh Hashanah for the coming year that all good things will happen to, for us on, on the knowledge that we are going to be doing good things in the coming year. So it's almost like payment in advance. But that's true of details, not of our existence, of life. So what do we make of the fact that God creates us? What kind of importance and significance does that impart on the created being? So, for example, we're told many, many times throughout the Torah how important how amazing, how high and, and divine a given mitzvah is. Shabbos, for example, is God's special day. God calls it my most precious gift. I have a gift in my treasure house, and its name is Shabbos. And yet, God gives us the Shabbos. What, what does that imply? If there is something very precious to you and you're giving it to me, well, what does that say about me? I must be even more precious that you're willing to part with the most precious thing you have and give it to me. So with every mitzvah, God is actually suggesting that we are more important than the mitzvah. And that's why he's giving it to us. Somebody gives you a present, something he thinks is fantastic, wonderful, and great. The more he admires the present, the greater is the compliment to you. The more precious 
the gift is to the giver, the more precious you must be to him for him to give that away to you. So if God gives you life, if God gives you existence, if God gives you health, if God gives you whatever it is you have, obviously you are more important. When God gives you his Torah, that is the ultimate compliment. Because as far as we know, the Torah is the most precious thing to God. And if he gives that to you, you must count a lot. But let's understand what that means. The proper view of deservedness. When God creates the world out of nothing, we don't mean that God didn't have any materials to work with. In fact, in the description of the creation of man, the Torah says, God gathered some earth, shaped it into man, and then breathed a soul into his nostrils. So God did have some materials to work with. Of course, he first created the materials. But the point is that it's not the physical material that we are referring to as nothing. God created the world out of nothing. I mean, of course, if he created the world, then it wasn't there before. What it really means is God created the world with no compelling reason. There is nothing about the world that demands its existence. To put it very simply, whether the world exists or not doesn't make any difference. I mean, imagine if the world did not exist. Who would complain? Who would care? To whom would it matter? Nobody. And this is where the flaw in, in some religious thinking God created the world and gave you life and told you how to behave so that you will go to heaven. Makes no sense whatsoever. He created heaven. He created me. Tells me to behave myself a certain way and then I will go to heaven. And then what? Well, then you'll be in heaven. Why bother? What's the point? If God did not create the world, did not create heaven, did not give us mitzvahs, and we won't go to heaven, who cares? It's not like we were sitting around thinking, oh, please, let me into heaven. And God said, well, if you do a mitzvah, I'll let you in. We weren't sitting around. We weren't hoping to get into heaven. He created the world out of nothing. Out of nothing means out of no need. There was no need. There was no principle that said you should create a world. It's important. No, it's not. So he created the world out of nothing means out of no principle. 
There is no logical principle, there is no value that says there must be a world. The world has no value. Meaning, if it didn't exist, nobody would care. It wouldn't matter to anybody. And yet he created the world, which means the world doesn't matter to anyone except him. To him it mattered. In other words, there is nothing about the world that makes it legitimate. There's just something about him. Only to him does a world make sense. Only to him is a world valuable. Only to him is creation a good idea. So again, what does it mean he created the world out of nothing? Out of nothing means the world didn't compel him to create it. There was something within him that compelled the existence of the world. So if we apply that in practical terms, God gave us existence must, must mean that we deserve it? No. On the contrary. Creation implies we don't deserve, we don't need, there's no reason for us to exist other than his need, his pleasure, his desire. It was all his idea. This is very different. A person goes down to a car uh, sales place and he sees a car and he's just got he's to have it. So he is not choosing the car. The car is choosing him. Because after all, it has this feature and that feature. And it goes you know, from zero to 60. And so you got to have it. So the car sells itself to the buyer. And the same is true with everything we, we want or, or choose. It's not a free choice. It's not out of nothing. I don't pick this car out of nothing. I pick it because it's the right color, the right shape, the right interior, the right motor. It's not for nothing. And the same with a house or with a, or with a pair of shoes. The shoes choose me. In fact, I wanted a different pair, but they didn't fit. So I, I'm not even getting what I want. The shoe gets what it wants. <laughs> I want you to buy me. Because I fit you. I appeal to you. I'm your type. So if I buy the shoe, it's not out of nothing. When we say God created the world out of nothing, it means there was nothing about the world that made it necessary for God. It was really his choice. He chose to create. Creation did not choose him to be its creator. Does this make, make a little sense? So what does that then say about our importance, our significance, our lovability? On the one hand, it says, <laughs> you're important? Not at all. I mean, if you think about it, 
if you exist or you don't exist, doesn't seem to make any difference whatsoever. It's true. People actually get suicidal when they realize this. I don't understand why. You have to figure out why people are suicidal. I realized I am not important, I am of no significance, whether I exist or not makes no difference. So, what the heck? Why kill yourself? So if you didn't exist, it would be just as good as if you do exist. But you do exist. Okay, so hang around. <laughs> what are you killing yourself for? If it's all the same to you, <laughs> leave it. Don't get so dramatic. So it's true. Our existence is not valid at all. Because we have eyes that don't see, we have ears that don't hear. We're, we're, we're really created out of nothing. On the other hand, if God decided to create us because there is something good about us, then we would be significant, but only as significant as our gifts, talents. So if God created us because we're smart, then we're only as important as we are smart. But if God created us for no reason, out of nothing, then what does that say about us? It says that no matter what we have or don't have, whether we're talented or not, whether we're good or not, whether we're, whether we're contributing or not, that's not why God created us. He created us because there's a need in him, a desire, a pleasure that he gets from our being and from our doing and from our opinions and from our relating to him. Even though there is nothing really significant about us. So, is it true? If God created you, it must mean that you deserve. No, that's not correct. That's like saying, if God gave the sun the power to warm the earth and make things grow, then obviously it's also a God. No, it's not. The fact that God created us, the fact that God gives us life, tells us something about him more than about ourselves. So how do we see ourselves? Where do we fit? We fit into a divine picture, not a rational, human, logical picture. So humanly, whatever gifts we have, whatever talents we have, whatever strengths we have, are, are totally eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear. On the other hand, we are the entire purpose for which God created the world, so it must do something for him. What does it for him? I don't know. I don't know. My saying a blessing my thanking him for making food grow from a tree means something to him? 
that proves that I'm significant? Or it proves that he is really God because only he could find value, pleasure, significance in something as insignificant as the creation. So the fact that God created us is a compliment to him more than it is a compliment to us. So instead of becoming a little God, we are actually humbled by the fact that God would create me. I don't become more important. I become more humble. Only God could find value in me. Only God could find pleasure in me. Only God can find me lovable. Like that famous expression, a face only a mother can love. So here's the positive and the negative side of this uh, idolatry. The thought that if God created me, I must be important, that's like the original mistake of the early idolaters. If God gives the sun power, the sun must be important. No. It is the greatness of God that he came up with such a plan that this planet helps the other planet by... That, that whole thing is just an amazing, amazing imagination that God has. But it's not like the earth had to be there and in order to be there you have to have a sun and the sun is making it possible for the earth to be. So the earth and the sun become important. The positive side is, if in spite of the insignificance of all of existence, God chooses to create this insignificant world, then there's something really awesome about God. And that's like the person who wants to marry you and you think, why would they want to marry me? They're so much better than me. You're smarter than me. You're more capable than me. You're more lovable than me. Why would you want to marry me? So the fact that they do want to marry you makes you feel important or makes you feel humbled. If it makes you feel important, that's idolatry. If it makes you feel humble, that's a good marriage. So if God, with all of his greatness, finds a need to have us, that's a compliment to him more than it is to us. I read a, recently a book where they're arguing these great minds, great scientists, philosophers, they're arguing the belief in God. And one of the arguments, I don't know how, how this strikes you, one of the arguments against God one of the arguments for not believing in God is as follows. Now that we know how immense the universe is, 
because we have a 200-inch lens on the uh, telescopes, and we can see the far reaches of the universe, and it's expanding at an incredible rate. And it is much bigger than we ever thought. Now that we know how big it is, the stage is way too big for the drama. So this whole idea, God created you, he wants you to be good, behave yourself, he'll punish you, he'll reward you. It's petty. That whole drama is way too small for such a stage. So the size of the universe argues against God's existence. Does this make any sense to you? It, it doesn't make any sense. That's like saying, you gave me a gift and I'm really grateful. You're a nice guy. I open it up and it's much more expensive than I thought. Okay, you're not a great guy anymore. How did, that, how did you figure that? If it's a small gift, you're very generous. If it's an immense gift, it's probably not even from you. But how did that happen? Now that we see how big the world is, it can't be God created it for us. No? What's the matter? You can't take a compliment? No, nobody would give you that great a gift. Yeah, nobody in his right mind, but then God. <laughs> you never know. So it's like saying... It's like saying, now that we know how big the creation is, we don't believe in a creator anymore. Where's the logic in that? So actually what they're saying is, the size of the universe argues in favor of a great creator, but not what religious people think God is. But that's really the argument. So it's not against God, it's against religion. It can't be that this awesome creator who created this much bigger world than we ever thought it was is really concerned about whether you steal or not. About whether you marry your cousin or not. That can't be anymore. It can't be anymore. Now that we've seen the size of the universe, your behavior has become less significant. That makes a little sense. But only somebody who already decided not to believe in God can come up with an argument like that. We never claimed to be significant in our own right. We always said God created the world out of nothing, meaning only his desire, only his view can make the existence of the world meaningful. Well, if you're coming from his view and from his perspective, the size of the universe is really quite irrelevant. If there's some pleasure in it for God, then, then what's the difference? how big the world is. Now the Mishnah says, why did God create the world with ten utterances? Wouldn't one word have sufficed? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Why do you have to make such a big world? Make a little world with one utterance. You don't have to have ten. God created the world in six days? Six days? Come on, it must have taken longer than that. No, no, no. The opposite. What took six days? He's God. He has to spend a whole week on this project? Why didn't he create it all in one second? But that is such a, uh, such a materialistic question. Now that we know how large the world is, in other words, now that we realize the uh, immensity of, of the material, now we can't believe in its purpose anymore. That's so materialistic. Now that we know that the quantity is very big, now we can't justify the quality. A little bit of quality justifies all the quantity in the world. If you love somebody, how much are you willing to do for them? It's a ridiculous question. How much? Do you measure love in quantity? So why would God create all these planets just so that we would be good? Uh, just so that we would be good. And you know how important it is for him that we be good? It was worth creating a six-day world, not just a six-minute world. It was worth investing ten utterances, not just one. It was worth creating many galaxies, not just ours. Why? Just so that you would be good. That doesn't make sense. That's very materialistic. If all you want to do is live a comfortable life, do you have to have three cars? Yeah, why not? And if you have 12 cars, that means your life has become less significant? What, what kind of thinking is this? So if the universe is really immense, then you're probably not so important. not how it works. So, what do we make of the fact that God created us? The conclusion we draw from that, the realization we come away with is, God has an infinite imagination. How he can find this important, we will never understand. But lucky for us, he does. That is humbling, that is strengthening, that is true. The opposite of false gods. So we've done away with two idols. There are more to be continued.